I almost didn't make it this morning. Nothing to do with a time or a difficult morning. It's just waking up and getting news again of fellow Christians being bombed in Egypt. Um, the Coptic church this morning was targeted in Egypt. Uh, 28 are dead, I think. There's many more injured. And I passed by a Coptic church on my way here. And I almost didn't make it because I wanted to pull in. There was a gentleman who was parking cars. And I just I really wanted to go and just hug him and just say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry as representatives of fellow Christians to, to realize that this Palm Sunday, where we celebrate a victory of a triumphant king, we are reminded that his kingdom is not fully come yet. His kingdom is still one uh, that although we know that he has a victory that is secure, that darkness and the Satan has been defeated. We see the signs of the reality that evil is still around us. So we still pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Christians, we oftentimes feel like we are uh, immune from things like this when we live uh, in America. But may we know that around us too, a battle rages, uh, a battle rages that Jesus has come to step into. So on this uh, Palm Sunday, we're going to go again to God's word. If you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to John chapter 12. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, this passage is listed for you in your bulletin. It'll also be on the uh, screen behind me. As we look at this passage, I want to look at a crowd mentality. I picked the Gospel of John and not one of the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke this year to look at, to look at kind of some of the reaction of the crowd. It's very interesting because the crowd that would be singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, glory to God in the highest, even this king of Israel, in such a short amount of time, this crowd is going to be the one who is going to be screaming, not Hosanna, save us. They're going to be screaming, crucify him. So we're going to look at a crowd mentality. Have you experienced, have you ever been a part of a crowd mentality? Has, has it changed you? Uh, throughout history, we see that a crowd mentality really does uh, shape events. Uh, it's kind of a phenomenon we see displayed throughout time. Is it not true? I mean, maybe times like witch burning, a crowd mentality, or some political uh, protest, or even racial divide in our own country that oftentimes associated with a, with a crowd mentality. Certainly, you have to look at the Holocaust. I mean, so many times, even with my children, we stop and think, it wasn't too long ago that the Holocaust uh, took place. How in the world could that happen? And again, that, that crowd mentality. And a much lighter note, one of the times that I really re- realized in my own life, uh, this crowd mentality, and as a matter of fact, being swept up into it, was when I found myself in Section 39 of Old Yankee Stadium. They're called the Bleacher Creatures. It's a famous section in the old, uh, old stadium. It was not connected to any other part of Yankee Stadium. You could only get to this one section through one gate. And you couldn't go anywhere else in the stadium. They did not serve alcohol in this one section alone because all the people are already crazy. And they realize you add a little alcohol and the crazy bleacher creatures, who knows what's going to happen? Well, for years, uh, my boys and I and some of my friends and their boys, we would take father-son baseball trips. And one of the highlights of that was during the last year of the Yankee Stadium was there. Uh, we went and we watched the last series between the Boston Red Sox and the New York Yankees. If you're even remotely familiar with baseball, you understand that's a, that's a big series. And so we were there and we decided to go right there in the bleacher creatures. These people are 
crazy. I mean, it's New York City at its finest or lowest, depending on how you want to look at it, right? Um, and I got to tell you, I've been to many baseball games. Uh, I've done a lot of things. I've probably never had as much fun of watching a baseball game. I mean, it was, it was entertainment. We, we were hooting and hollering. And what amazed me most was how fast, how fast the entire section could start heckling. I mean, usually it takes a little bit of time to start heckling. Usually, you know, you got to build it up and all of what's going on. You picture the wave, right? I mean, it takes a while for everybody. To, oh, we're doing the wave. This is what we're doing. But in section 39, heckling, it took in a new form. As soon as they started heckling, it was like everybody started heckling. It was like, it was an instantaneous heckle. I mean, the crowd mentality was incredible. And I found my voice joining theirs. As a matter of fact, they started heckling a guy they noticed that was wearing a suit. They made fun of a guy for wearing a suit. I don't know how they noticed him. And everybody were yelling, and, and there I am. I'm yelling at a guy in a suit and thinking, I'm the pastor, and I'm with my boys, and I'm screaming at some guy in a suit. The mob mentality, it was crazy. You know, there's three psychological theories that address crowd behavior. One is contagion theory. Uh, it basically says that a crowd will exert a hypnotic, a hypnotic influence on their members that results in irrational and emotionally charged behavior. It was some kind of contagion that we had in, I'm telling you, in section 39. Some say it's a conversion theory. When like-minded people get together, when individuals come together, they sometimes lose their inhibitions and it heightens their attitude and you get this crowd mentality. And there's a third one that says this is emergent norm theory that combines the first two. It's interesting because there's actual studies of the brain that looks at crowd mentality. It says during some of these crowd events, the brain actually is suppressing moral code in groups. You kind of feel a little bit safer to be crazy when you're with other crazies. Maybe you don't feel like you'll be personally held responsible, so you just let it fly. Well, you see, we're going to see a crowd mentality uh, this Palm Sunday. There was a crowd who would gather uh, for Jesus to come into Jerusalem. Uh, There's a crowd who would proclaim Hosanna to the Lord God, Hosanna in the highest to, to Jesus. And uh, the crowd was representative of a couple different groups of what they were thinking. And we're going to try to examine their mentality. But let me stop first of all and say, let's, let's look a little bit of what they were saying. They're, they're waving brand, uh, palm branches as a sign of a victorious king. And the crowd was yelling out, Hosanna. Uh, it's, they were saying it in Aramaic, but they were grabbing it from the Hebrew, actually two Hebrew words that's going to mean, save us, we pray. They're basically crying out saying, save us, we pray. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So they're already saying some important things here. Here comes a king. Uh, here comes a blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're crying out, save us, we pray. We probably want to ask, what are they asking or who or what are they be asking to be saved from? When they say save us, you got to understand really what they were saying is save us. They weren't picturing a spiritual battle. They weren't saying save us from Satan or save us from death. They were saying save us from Rome, uh, save us politically. Politically come and change our political condition, our political standing. Uh, we feel like we're in the promised land, but it doesn't feel like the promised land anymore. Save us. And then we probably have to look at a little bit, and we will, who's the us? Save us. 
Because in this passage we're about to read, Jesus is saying he will save, he will draw all men to himself. And a lot of people thought this save us was, was very much of a national feel. It was for God's people, the Israelites. Certainly couldn't be for the Greeks and the, the Gentiles and, and others. Save us. Who is the us? And so, but the most important thing, that the, the point that was completely missed was how. How was this king, this lowly king, riding in on a borrowed donkey, not on a, a white war horse. He's on a donkey for goodness. How is he going to save us? I mean, what is this, this rabbi, this, this carpenter's son, how is he going to overthrow Rome? That was their thinking. Well, I can tell you this, no one, zero zip, nada. No one who was crying out, Hosanna, blessed is the name of he who comes in the name of the Lord was picturing that Jesus would save us all through a Roman cross. Not even his disciples knew at this point. We're going to read that. They were, they were a part of the crowd. They were singing it too, but they still didn't get it. They didn't understand until later what this actually meant. No one thought that this blessed one in the name of the Lord, this Messiah, this King of, of, of Israel was going to save by being killed himself. That salvation was going to be secured through his death. Save us, kill our enemies. And who would have ever thought, save us, let yourself be killed for us. We're going to examine these crowd mentalities represented on Palm Sunday. But let me challenge you to do what God's word should do every week. Don't read this story to just pick out the crowd and identify them. Put yourself, find your face in the crowd. Find your face. When we open up God's word and we look at what are the tendencies behind each one of these crowd mentality. We look a little deeper. What are they saying and why? Let me ask you, examine your heart. Because I know this, when I look at this, <laughs> I see my face in every one of them. I see my broken, sinful self in every one of the reflections of what they're doing and saying and ask for God to please pull me into the crowd that he's raising up. So we're going to look at John chapter 12. Uh, it's listed in your bulletin as 12 through 36. For no extra charge, I'm going to start in verse 9. Uh, it's just, it just helps us think about this crowd control I don't know if they have that listed up uh, on the crowd uh, on the uh, screen or not. I hope they do. So John 12 verses nine through 36. Would you please lead into God's word? Because this is God's holy inerrant word. Hear the word of the Lord. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus. Now, just in chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And when you raise someone from the dead who is three days in the tomb, you will get a crowd around you. People were wondering, oh my goodness, what is this all about? Whom he raised from the dead. That's the end of nine. So the chief priests, these religious crowd, made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews, another crowd, were going away and believing in Jesus. Now here's the traditional uh, triumphal entry in John. So the very next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, here's another crowd, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel, kind of quoting here a bit of Psalm 118. 
And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now hit pause. The beauty of the Gospels is this. There's four of them. That there's a lot more to the story than Jesus found a donkey. Oh, hey, a donkey. A donkey. I'm going to go sit on the donkey. Uh, I think we'll have much more of a deeper story through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It wasn't just like randomly found. He sent disciples to go and get this mode of transportation for him. But his disciples did not understand these things at first. So here it was. Even his own disciples, clueless. But when Jesus was glorified, this is after his resurrection, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gathering uh, nothing. Uh, You're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. That's where this is about taking place and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Let me hit pause here and say right here in front of me is a plaque. And every week I look at that verse, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And it's a reminder to me to preach nothing but Jesus to you every week. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And here's what Jesus said. He answered them. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What an interesting result, answer to someone saying, Jesus, someone wants to see you. We'll unpack that. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Through scriptures, a few times where the father can't stay silent anymore. It's at his baptism. It's the Mount of Transfiguration. And now here again, right before the cross, the crowd stood there and heard it, that it was thundering. That must have been thunder. Did you guys hear that? Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice uh, has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, wait, wait, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is the son of man? Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. 
the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Father God, what an incredible story that is before us. There's a lot of darkness that was represented in this story when it was first told, when it first unfolded. And God, darkness continues. So would you come, because Jesus, you are the light and life of men. And would you come and would you shine the light of your love and your truth upon this broken sinner so that, God, that we could hear your voice. Would you give us ears to hear your voice, minds to understand your word, hearts to embrace your truth. God, would you be with us in in such a powerful way that we'd be able to see where, where our face is in this crowd. What crowd that we relate to and why? That God, the gospel would set us free and, and embolden us that we would be able to walk in a manner worthy of your name. God, the things that I say that are, that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this good news of the gospel, would you use them to draw all men to yourself this morning? We pray this in the matchless name of Christ, your son and our savior. Amen. If you want to follow along, you're going to find an outline for you describing these crowds in your bulletin. And the first crowd we have is what I call the religious crowd, the religious crowd. And if you're new to Orangewood or you, you don't know me, uh, you may think that this is a crowd I embrace. When people tell me I'm a religious person, I want to quickly change it. Say, no, 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 I'm, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. I'm in love with Jesus. Religion scares me. Um, yes, in many ways you could say religious, but this religious crowd should scare us too. They were kind of the ones who were, maybe the motto, we're large and we are in charge. We're the ones who have control of the house. We're the ones who have control. We are the ones with the power. We're large and we are in charge. They're they're the ones, although it's kind of interesting, although they're saying, Hosanna, save us, we pray, uh, to this king who is coming. They're the ones who thought they had authority over Jesus. Uh, What kind of person sings praises to a king and yet doesn't really want to bow to that king and really wants to say, I'm over you. I'm going to, I'm going to interpret the events for you. When Jesus is going to say in this passage that the week is going to end with him being lifted up on the cross. So salvation can come to all of us. They're like, no, 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 no. Let's, let's talk about this here. Jesus, uh, you son of man or whatever you are. Let me tell you what scripture says. The Messiah will always be with us. You got it wrong. So these religious people feel like they're the ones who are going to interpret things for Jesus. They're the ones with the authority over Jesus. They were threatened by him. These, listen, religion is threatened by the gospel. Religion is threatened by Jesus. As we read this, and I picked it up earlier, they were threatened because Lazarus was raised from the dead. Instead of worshiping God, instead of celebrating what God had done, they were threatened with their own position. They were threatened with their own authority. They were threatened with their own kingdom. It says several times that they, they like, what are we going to do? I mean, the whole world's going to this Jesus, man. We got we to wipe him out. They were threatened by him. Even again, when Jesus is describing the hour has come and what he's going to do, they said, no, let, let's interpret this hour for you. Let us tell you how the son of man should act. Anytime a religious person, a religious group, cannot tell you who the son of man really is. Run from that religious group. 
Because this, this is a religious group who, who would look at Jesus and not know that he was some kind of king, but not know that this king was God in flesh. This is the son of God, son of man. I and mean, this is, this is creator, sustainer of all things. I mean, this is not just a king in a line of many kings or even in a line of David. This one is amazingly unique. This one is all by himself. This is Jesus, the son of man, the son of God. If any religion doesn't hold up uh, Jesus in the reality of who he is, that is not a true religion, a religion that we should run from, no matter how large and in charge they feel they are. You know, I think this is the, uh, this is the group, and where I see my face in this group is that they felt like they had the authority to tell Jesus how things are going to unfold and how things are going to uh, play out. And I look back at my own life, and, and I've... <laughs> oftentimes in prayer, wanted to wrestle with him in a way that I felt like I had the authority to tell him what he should be doing. And I felt like I had the authority that I should say that you need to be doing this now. And I felt like that was a part of that religious crowd where, man, I just wanted Jesus to bend a knee to me. Maybe you relate to that if you've been praying for a while of certain things of Jesus that he hasn't done. Maybe you relate to that if there's some things that, that you have on your wish list for Jesus that he just don't bow to. You see, the religious crowd, they, they, they wanted a king, but they wanted a king kind of like, if I could say it this way, it's kind of crass, but hang with me, kind of like an American king. I mean, as Americans, we don't like authority over us. If we don't like you, we won't vote for you. If we really don't like you, we'll impeach you. As a matter of fact, the state flag in Virginia has a picture of a king who's knocked off his crown. His crown is off his head and a woman with a sword is over him. And in Latin, it says, thus to all tyrants. Anybody wants to make yourself king in our country? We're going to send our crazy sick women after you. and They're going to come after you with swords, right? I mean, who wants a king? I think we all want a counselor. We all want a friend in Jesus. We all want a a helper and somebody walk with us. But you got to understand, he's a king. And the king, not just with some authority, but king with all authority that we bow down to. So you have the religious crowd. Then you got the circus crowd. If If their motto would be, we're here, entertain us. We're here, serve us and entertain us. And this circus crowd that had emerged, and I don't mean to be demeaning to them. I can understand why, but they really, they had heard and seen about Jesus. Specifically, they had either seen or heard about Lazarus being raised from the dead. And it says that they, these signs and wonders drew them. These signs and wonders is like, we got to go see the one who, who has the power, who has signs and wonders like this. And they were really more interested in the sideshow than they were in the Savior. And they were more interested in in, in seeing what could actually happen. This circus crowd or Lazarus crowd. What they knew is this, and and this we all want to know. They knew that finally one had come who has the power over our greatest fear. Death. I mean, there's one who's come who, who has somehow defeated death or somehow beat it. And there's one who has come who can answer our heart's deepest plea. Save our loved ones. I mean, right? I mean, just think of that Martha and Mary story. Save our love with Jesus. If you were here, this wouldn't have happened. With the circus crowd, they not only want to be entertained by the power of Jesus, they want to control this. They want to see Jesus as maybe like a, a magic genie lamp that you have the power in your hands, that, that you can make sure that 
you can control your greatest fears through controlling him. But there's something different about this, Jesus. For him to alleviate our greatest fear of death, he himself had to die. He had to die so that fear was not just banished for for some, but for all. And he had to answer our deepest longings. And and you can imagine that they they wanted a personal uh, relationship with Jesus in a way that that they could say, well, save him and save this and and have the power over this and the power over that. Let me tell you how how you're going to act, Jesus, on on my own timing. And the way he's going to save them all is not just to randomly raise Lazarus and somebody else over here and over there. It was for him to become our sin, to taste death for us. And to be resurrected. So you see that power that we all long for. The power even over death. He's going to give us in the gospel. And that greatest fear. That greatest fear is going to be dispelled. Because of an empty tomb. It's an amazingly good story. But we don't have a circus God. Who will just perform at our demands. And for those of you again. Who, who are praying. I, in a relationship, uh, I was t- chatting with a lady in our church who's struggling so much with, with loss in her life and a lot of struggles in her life. And, I, and I'm hurting for her. And I could see in her, so I was like, well, God could do it. And it makes me mad he's not. And I really am upset because how can God be good and powerful and all these things be happening? And I mean... I want to step back. Well, first of all, God's ways aren't our ways. And I certainly can't speak for him why he does what he does. I didn't say that because it wouldn't be kind, but I could see clearly is that you want, you want to be able to control God and you want him to be able to do the things that you just want him to do. You, you want to be king over him. You want the authority. But I'm telling you, Jesus himself tasted death so that you could stand here at a grave of a loved one and know that death doesn't win. The sting has been defeated. Life wins in Christ Jesus. And maybe he didn't answer your prayer that this loved one is no longer with us, but he really did answer your prayer because he died so that we know the story doesn't end. You see the circus crowd, they, they, they wanted to, to be just entertained. Let's go see signs and wonders. It's interesting. I had a, um, I had an aunt growing up uh, everybody has a crazy aunt, right? Um, I had my crazy aunt uh, growing up, and, and she was fun in some ways, but I'm telling you, it's just flat out crazy. Um, and she mocked religion. And she mocked our faith. And she mocked Christianity. But she still sometimes listened to Christian music or would go to a revival because she wanted to be entertained. I'm thinking... You know, maybe you see a sign and a wonder. I remember, matter of fact, uh, I had two grandmothers, one who was an incredible lover of Jesus, and one, as far as I know, never turned her heart to Christ. And there was, uh, when I was in college, the church I attended was bringing in um, Madeline Marie O'Hare's son. Madeline Marie O'Hare became famous with Wade versus Roe and the, uh, uh, the abortion uh, being legalized. And the son becomes a Christian and became kind of an evangelist. And she wanted to go, not to hear the gospel, but to hear, to be entertained, to hear, huh, it's intrigued. So this is a crowd that's interested. They want to see a little freak show or what's going on, but doesn't really want to bow. Is your face in that crowd? You see, he has come to rescue us by dying for us. 
And then you got the curious crowd. Maybe of hollow ones. This is maybe really interesting what happens here. This is a crowd who might say, we are here, tell us the latest and greatest. This is the one who's maybe looking on Twitter and just wants to see what the latest stuff's going on out there. They want to make sure they're, they're in the know. And the curious crowd was the Greeks. It says some Greeks went up to worship at the feast. Now, these are clearly not ordinary Greeks. Normally, Greeks would not go to the temple to worship. They wouldn't be so uh, enamored with the Jewish monotheistic God. They had many gods, but something happened to these Greeks. They wanted to be a part of what was going on. So they went to the crowd and they asked Philip, one of his disciples, one of Jesus's disciples, uh, really from that area. And they asked something beautiful, sir, we wish to see Jesus. I mean, what a, what a, what a great request. And when Jesus is told to their request on the surface, his, his response is quite puzzling. We read it, but let me tell you, Picture yourself. Here comes a couple of disciples. Hey, hey, Jesus, there's some kind of cool Greeks here. Now they're here. They're here to worship and they, they want to see you. And here's what he says. The hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now let's remember, he said this, and hey, Jesus, there's some Greeks here that want to see you. And here's this whole thing he went into. Now, if I were Philip, I'd say, what? These guys just want to see you. What was that all about? (laughs) I love that about scripture. I mean, just Jesus sometimes gives an answer that you're like, huh? What? Here's what he's saying. This is, this is so amazingly profound. If anyone wants to see Jesus, they must see him properly. Now listen, this, this is so important. If you get nothing else, get this. If anyone wants to see Jesus, they must see him properly. They must see Jesus through the cross. You can't know who the Son of Man is. You can't know who Jesus is apart from the cross of Christ. There's really no other way to know him. You can't just see him as a good teacher. You can't just see him as a moral example. You can't just see him as some earthly king, some would-be Messiah, maybe even God's son, apart from the cross of Christ. That's the only way we see Jesus rightly is a God's son who would come to rescue sinners like us. You see, there's no good news apart from the cross. There's no good news apart from a spotless lamb of God becoming our sin. There's no good news apart from the wrath of God being placed on his son. There's no forgiveness. You remember, we're going to look at this this week. When Jesus, even when he's being crucified, will say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Even he's being crucified. There's no forgiveness of sins apart from the cross of Christ. You can't see Jesus rightly if you don't see the cross. And I got to tell you, the number, it's amazing, the number of Christians who will call themselves Christians and describe Christianity apart from the cross of Christ is staggering. It's staggering. I mean, again, you ask somebody, you're a Christian, what does that mean to be a Christian? Tell me what it means. And here's what you almost usually hear. Yeah, well, I believe in a Jesus and now I'm trying to live a good life. 
I believe in a Jesus and now I'm trying to go to church. I'm trying to raise my kids right. I'm trying to give a little bit more money. I'm trying to be a little bit of a better person. You want to say, you don't know Jesus. If your answer of Christianity is you have some uh, intellectual assent that there was a Jesus and now you're going to be more of a moral person, that is not Christianity. That's religion. Christianity is I am a sinner who's been separated by God, who's a holy God because of my rags. And the only way I could ever have right standing with a holy God is that God would take his own son and he would nail him on a cross. And he, he would allow his wrath to be poured out there. So, so God's justice and God's mercy can meet there. If you talk about Christianity and you don't talk about the cross, if you talk about Christianity and you're not emotional about a savior who died for you, I tell you, you may have religion. You don't know Jesus. Jesus apart from the cross. And so when Jesus is saying things like, well, you know what? If you have a, this kernel of wheat, unless it falls to the ground and dies, it, it's going to remain by itself. It's going to bear much fruit. Christianity and seeing me rightly is realizing I've come to lay my life down for my friends so that they can be in me and bear much fruit. And lastly, you have this gospel crowd. This gospel crowd is like through the cross. And I love this. It says, God himself, I'm going to draw. There's a crowd I'm going to draw. There's a crowd that the world will gather around that thinks something about me, but I'm going to draw a crowd. This is the gospel crowd. It's one that he personally draws. And by the way, he says, I'm going to draw all people to myself. Now the word all, what does that mean? Does it mean that everyone is going to become a Christian? That there's no one who will ever not be in Christ? Well, all people, he's making it clear, it's, it's all of his own. It's every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group. It's, it's his sheep from every nation, every part of the world. It's his elect. It's his bride. It's his. It's all. It's not just the Jewish folks. These Greeks... These other folks, these Americans, they're going to get a part of this as well. You see, the, the crowd had their own agenda, their own mentality. But through this Holy Week, listen, through this Holy Week, you got to understand that God isn't passive watching terrible things be done to his son. That God's plan is unfolding. And incredibly, God's plan included his son being placed on a cross. I love the book of Acts. What your sinful hands have done was only predetermined that God's plan would unfold. And so God is not passive in this. This is God's agenda. And God's plan won't fail. And God's plan was that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my people to myself and I'm going to gather my crowd. And how am I going to do? I'm going to lift up my son on a cross. The son of man will be lifted up. And that is what I'm going to use for the world to be drawn into a true relationship with me. In the book of Numbers, there's a really, you know, the Old Testament's got some weird stories. And let's just be honest, they got some weird stories. And there's a weird story in the book of Numbers, Numbers 21. God's people are in the wilderness and they're grumbling. They do that best. They're grumbling, saying, man, this stinks, man. I mean, we, we used to be in Egypt and why don't we go back to slavery? I mean, this is terrible. I mean, hating all this manna and all this stuff, it just stinks. And 
God, you're, 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 what's going on? And they're grumbling and they're mumbling and they're just making a mess of the whole thing. And, and God got angry and he sent, it says, fiery serpents. I'm not sure what fiery serpents are. It sounds terribly scary to me. They got fiery serpents and they bit a lot of the people. And so God tells Moses one of these weird things like, what? Okay, I want you to take a serpent and I want you to put it on a pole and I want you to hold it up. And anybody who's bitten by a snake can look at that pole and they can be saved. Now, seriously, we're all like, seriously? What? What? Put a bronze serpent on a pole, lift it up, and people are going to get saved. What kind of crazy mumbo-jumbo stuff is that? But when you realize it was a type, when you realize it was a sign, when you realize that Jesus himself would be lifted on a pole, that he'd be lifted on the pole and as you gaze your eyes upon God's son, the son of man, becoming our sin, taking on our curse. And when we look at him rightly, when we fix our eyes on him and we see him as our Lord and savior, we are saved. We are healed. And so we can't say the book of Numbers 21 is a crazy story about some bronze serpent that was raised up to to save the people because the story of the Bible is that God's son is going to be raised up on a pole called a cross and as we gaze on him, we're saved. That's the gospel. And those who have the crazy audacity to take God at his word and believe that that is real, not just real in history, but real for them. We're saved. We look on him and we are saved. And he's going to use the craziness of this cross, the scandal of the cross. He's going to use the the craziness of all this, that God, the son of man, will bear our sins to draw all people to himself. But how do we get it? He says, you're going to have to follow me. Anyone who wants to, to keep their life, they got to lose it. Anybody, anybody who loses their life, for me, anybody who realizes that they can't do it on their own, anyone who loses their life, that comes to the point of life, says, make me new, make me real, make me yours. I lay my life down before you. It's going to bear fruit. Anyone who serves me, anyone who says, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven will bear much fruit. You know, this gospel is like Jesus showed us. You die to yourself. You die to live. You die to bear fruit. He died so that we could have life and be linked to him. This week, we're going to be focusing on Jesus, seeing Jesus rightly. This whole week, we're going to be focusing on that cross through that empty tomb. May we sing Hosanna, save us, we pray, the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Save us by dying for us, by being lifted up on the cross so that we could be lifted up to the heights of heaven. There's no other way to be saved. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for this incredible passage that we find right in John chapter 12. And thank you for showing us the crowds, the religious crowd, the the, uh, circus crowd, the curious crowd. But thank you, Jesus, for the crowd that you, our triune God, is drawing to yourself. Through Jesus being lifted up on that cross.
so that as we fix our eyes on him and see him as our savior, we are saved. Oh God, would you fix our eyes on your son, especially this week as we remember the agony of his cross. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.